Florida Football Insiders Podcast is brought to you by Beefo Brady's, Hank's Barbecue, and Home Slice Pizza Company. Just a programming note, we will be at the Beefo Brady's in Tampa on the corner of Bush Boulevard on Himes Avenue on Monday night for the national championship game between TCU and Georgia. So come on out to Beefo Brady's and enjoy the national championship and some great food. So we'll see you on Monday night at Beefo Brady's and enjoy the podcast. A look at college football news, analysis, and insight from around the Sunshine State. This is Florida Football Insiders, a part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. And here's your host, Jason Powers. Welcome into the Florida Football Insiders Podcast, part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jason Powers, here in Tampa. A little bit of a somber opening here for the podcast. Want to give our thoughts and prayers to the DeMar Hamlin family. Obviously, I know it was a pro football, and this is a kind of a college football podcast, but uh, if you're a football fan, I'm sure you saw the uh, unfortunate events in Cincinnati on Monday night. Um, just we're just all hoping for the best for DeMar, the second-year cornerback for the Buffalo Bills. Um, and just want to give our thoughts and prayers to the family. And, um, again, we just want to – obviously, it's a somber uh, couple of days around the country, again, if you're a football fan. So <clears throat> this podcast is presented by Beefo Brady's. Hank's Barbecue and Home Slice Pizza Company. So I want to thank those, uh, thank the sponsors for helping us out as we wrap up our college football season. Got a good episode for you tonight. We got two guests. We're going to talk to Coach Jim Levitt. We're going to break down the semifinal matchups uh, with the upset of with TCU beating Michigan, and then we have Georgia coming back to beat Ohio State, forty-two forty-one. We're also going to talk to Kevin Brockway from the Gainesville Sun. We're going to talk about Florida's signing day, their recruiting class, the transfer portal, a lot of guys coming in and out of the Florida program uh, throughout the year. We're going to talk about the bowl game a little bit, a dubious streak that was extended, and just some general thoughts of the Florida football program as we enter the offseason and such. So um, we, we talked to Coach Levitt on Monday prior to the Monday Night Football uh, situation unfolding, so we did not talk to Coach about the uh, the cardiac arrest situation. Would have been a great to talk to him concerning handling that as a head coach, and but we did talk to Kevin a little bit about uh, some of that as well. So you will hear Kevin Brockway comment on that, and then we'll like I said, we'll give you a good preview of the championship game coming up on Monday night in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium, TCU in Georgia. And such, I think you'll enjoy the podcast. So, enjoy the podcast. Coach Jim Levitt coming up, and then Kevin Brockway to wrap up the Florida Football Insiders podcast. Remember, subscribe, rate, and review if you have not already done so. And you can reach out to us on Twitter at JPO Sports, at JPO Sports. If you have any comments, love to hear from you. And uh, you can also go to my YouTube channel, Jason Powers Sports Channel, if you want to see the video clips of. Coach Levitt and Kevin Brockway. Enjoy the podcast. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions, as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. If you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay Area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions, my guy Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs, corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist. Again, 
print and marketing specialist, Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. All right, welcome to a special championship edition simulcast of the Powers on Sports podcast and the Florida Football Insiders podcast. I'm your host, Jason. Hope everybody had a safe and happy New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. We are uh, recording this as the first podcast of 2023, so thanks for finding us. This podcast presented by Beefo Brady's here in Tampa, the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. For all of your uh, sports viewing and catering needs, definitely check out Beefo Brady's as we head to the NFL playoffs and the uh, college football title game. We're back with Coach Jim Levitt again. Coach, Happy New Year. Hope you're doing well. Happy New Year. It was uh... – you know, I live down uh, around Harbor Island area, and um, I walked down to Jackson's on New Year's. Of course, all Illinois is staying at the Weston Hotel right there. Okay. And uh, had a great time. Fireworks were unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then just uh, walked back to the house, and um, uh, I had, had a nice New Year's. It was, you know, not too, <laughs> you know, went out very late, just went and saw fireworks, went back home, which is probably good. And uh, that's about it. There was a lot going on down your neck of the woods on New Year's Eve. I was down there for just a little bit, and there was a lot of people and a lot of stuff going on. Oh, that you know, the game today will be interesting because, you know, Brett Bielema, head coach of Illinois, I coached him at Iowa when he was a walk-on defensive end. Yep. And I was a graduate assistant with Hayden Fry. So I used to yell at Bielema all the time. (laughs) And then Bill Snyder's son, Sean Snyder, is the – uh, especially in coordinator for Illinois, okay. who I know very, very well. And then certainly I was very close with Mike Leach on Mississippi State right. and how devastating that was, you know. And Mike and I were had spent an awful lot of time together. And he offered me a D.C. job at Washington State where he was at and Mississippi State. And uh, we talked at length about different things, but – um. And then, and then through all the things I went through with South Florida, he went through with Texas Tech. We must talk for two months almost every night on the phone. So yeah, it'll be very interesting to see the emotion in, in Raymond James today with Mississippi State coming out and obviously honoring Coach Leach and just uh, as well, you know, as much as they want to win this bowl game. And again, on the other side of that, you got Bielema, who again, you know, and I'm sure probably, um, you know, it's a tough. He, he's, he's probably going to be without a couple of his big players because of opt outs and stuff like that. So. That'll be interesting to see how that uh, how that uh, just unfolds and the emotion in the building and all that stuff. It's always hard when you get these opt outs. You know, it's just you know it's so different than back when I first started coaching or playing or whatever. The you know it's just not the same because you don't know what team's going to show up. Now these playoffs, most of the players are going to play in those right. games, <clears throat> but these bowl games, there's just so many players that aren't playing, and you can't blame them. If they know they're a first, second, third round, you know, first, second round for sure, why would you play? Right. You know, all you're going to do is, uh, you know, if you get a chance to get hurt, you know, it's not like the old days, you know, where you're you know, loyal to your teammates and all that. And, and that's, uh, yeah, I'm still big with that. But, you know, the stakes are not as high on those other bowl games, you know, and it's just, it's just different. Yeah, I mean, back then, you people used to play bowl games to try to impress the pro scouts and the scouting and all that stuff. Now it's just a different world with the combine and all the pro days and all that stuff. The one situation I do want to comment on that was impressive to see, you saw the Alabama guys, Bryce Young, Will Anderson, playing for the Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, and they played really well, and they really they really uh, took it to Kansas State in the second half. Bryce Young and Will Anderson both played for most of the game and played really well. You know, at Alabama, of course, they've got – it's just a different situation. <clears throat> they probably worked for those guys on making sure they got insurance policies. Correct. Because you can get those insurance policies, you know, before those games. And, um, you know, Saban's just – he's got things set up. There's so many different things to protect those players. Right. Uh, that all colleges can do and should do and will do, you know, as far as – the uh, you know, the, the ones that really know what's going on. So I'm sure they were protected. Yes, no, oh, no doubt about it. There's, there, there's no doubt. All right, let's get to the two semifinal games. We uh, had two, probably the greatest two semifinal games we've ever had in the in the college football playoff. 
Michigan goes down to TCU 51-45, and then Georgia with the dramatic fourth quarter comeback beats Ohio State 42-41. Let's start Michigan-TCU first. Just your um, general thoughts of the game. Again, to me, it was a game about missed opportunities for Michigan, especially early in the game. They had some opportunities, and they weren't able to cash it. Just your general thoughts of the football game. Well, the one I wanted to really watch TCU's defense against Michigan's offense with the run game. Because when you run the 3-3 defense, one of the areas that people will talk about as far as a weakness is the run defense. <clears throat> but my gosh, they did a really good job. And I was impressed with it. I think they had to show their hand a little bit by dropping the safety down a lot earlier than they normally would. Right. And that's why Michigan you know, got some big plays passing. But what was amazing was inside the five-yard line. Yes, and, you know, first they get two two touchdowns off pick six. You know, that's just real mistakes by the quarterback. And you got to give the quarterback a lot of credit because he hung in there. He and he kept battling and fighting. And, you know, you throw – you're in the, you know, semifinals of the championship, throw a couple picks. You know, you're not sure your quarterback's going to handle that. But he kept – it shows his resiliency and his toughness. Right. I mean, they were, they were down six. They had a chance to win at the end, even though there's no time on the clock. But I was impressed with the overall defense. So basically, got it well over 500 yards offensively, but they couldn't get it in inside the five. And right, you know, they, um, the one play was there's no way that wasn't a touchdown for Michigan. I don't I, under, yeah, I don't, I'm they, with you. I don't understand how that's not a touchdown. I think the officials, you know, said it was a touchdown. But how in the replay booth do they say that wasn't a touchdown? That's wrong. I'm just telling you. Yep. They messed up. They missed on that one. And look what look what happened because of it. That would be you my know, next and that's question. why you say you never give up. You know, and they 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 fumbled the, you know, they they slid the handoff through the the up back, you know, the, the the fullback and they fumble it and um are you, a fan, a, are you a fan in these big games to put the ball in guys' hands that are not used to handling? That fullback, he's a linebacker by trade. He comes in for goal line stuff. Or would you rather put the ball in the guys that are used to handling it, you know, your power back, whatever it is, whoever that is, that I was a little surprised they 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 put a guy in the game and handled the ball that wasn't it's not used to doing it very much. Well, when you look at the replay, it looks like the quarterback slid the ball through there. I don't know. That exchange, you know, maybe maybe he's supposed to grab that ball. Right. <clears throat> Jim has done that in the past. You know, he had a linebacker at Stanford that he played at fullback as well. And he, you know, I think Jim tries to outthink people on that stuff. And obviously he's going to have to live with um, some of the decisions that were made in that game offensively because, you know, why you do that reverse pass. The Philly special on the first drive. The first I, drive of the game, yeah. you, you get cute. We talked about it last week that teams would open up their playbook and pull out all the stops. To me, if you're Michigan, you're known for running the ball. If you're gonna if you're gonna go for it, there, pick your one or two best running plays behind your All American offensive line and go run the ball at them. Yeah, I I was really surprised by that. I I didn't understand. They end up having more success with the quarterback running the ball at the end of the game, right? You know, with uh, against TCU, but I I. It was beyond, I don't know. I know right now he's kicking himself, I'm sure. You know, why do we do that? I don't know. He's And Jim will take that stuff personal. Yep. And he'll, he knows he had a real shot at this whole thing. And, you know, it's hard. It is. You know, it's, and it's, it's a brutal, it's a brutal ending in your I season. I mean, TCU's a good team. They were able to run the ball, uh, you know, pretty well. Which is, and then they've got the big receiver that is really hard to match up. You know, I was a D coordinator at SMU with Sonny last year. We played right. TCU. Right. So I had to line up against that receiver and I lined up against that quarterback and all of them. We end up beating TCU at TCU. Right. <clears throat> but it was um, what a challenge. And, you know, we end up playing really good defense in the second half, especially fourth quarter. But, you know, we, I didn't think we were a better team than TCU. We just won the game. Uh, but I don't know. It's, you know, who's really the better team. I don't know who's the better team with those two teams. I mean, Michigan made so many mistakes. It was 
it was one heck of a game. But for Michigan to keep fighting and battling was was impressive. It was. It, it was the the hard part of that game. If you're Michigan, is you could never get all the way back. You always were down four, seven, eleven, twelve. Right. Then you got to eight. You could never finally get over the hump and take the lead. And and, and you know this. It's just you sometimes your kids just run out of mental energy to do that when you're constantly behind the entire game. They got burned a couple schematically for you. Michigan got burned twice on zero blitzes. They went yeah. full blown zero blitz. You missed <clears throat> one tackle and it's off to the races. And TCU went off the race, I think a 75 yard touchdown on a zero blitz on third and six or seven. Yeah, they had, they happened twice in a game that. You know, and you can always second guess that, but you know they probably ran a bunch of zero. They they, they were trying to make the big play. I <clears throat> know they 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 were, and you know that's the defense that's given up 13, 14 points a game for the right. whole year. Right. And you know what a great job their D coordinator did, but you know you're going to have some calls you make that, you know, they're tough. You know, I, I was kind of surprised they went zero in the middle of the field or on the other side, you know, but man, they were trying to get that ball back and, you know, TCU's got a good offense. They've got some good players. Running back's good, receiver, quarterback's good with the run game. I was going to mention that too. The the run game of Duggan is always a factor for them. Right. And, you know, the quarterback of Michigan, you know, had a lot of yards rushing, but yeah, you know, you're going to, you know, I know the DC. You know, he, he. I'm sure he feels like he didn't do well. Right. You know, gave up almost 500 yards and you know a lot of points. Of course, 14 points were on the offense. The pick sixes, right? You know, and um, <clears throat> and what happened? What know. happens is, coach, when you're down 21 to three, you can't be as patient with the running game, which is your bread and butter, the physicality of the game. It's hard to wear out TCU, and I thought TCU held up pretty good physically in the trenches. Yeah, they really did. You know, it's um, you know, it's just a year of TCU. They got and they they did some really good things for transfers in the portal, and they had a lot of people back. You know, from um, you know, a year ago, and um, you know, TCU just hit. He, they they won all the close games this year. Yeah, I know they got beat by Kansas State in the championship game, but <clears throat> for the most part, they've, you know, I mean, how they how they beat Oklahoma State was amazing. Right. How they even got to where they are is remarkable. And here they got a chance to win it all, you know, by if they can beat Georgia. And we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes. So TCU advances 51-45 over Michigan out of the Fiesta Bowl. Now to the uh, Peach Bowl. What a wild finish in Atlanta. Georgia 42-41, Georgia down 38-24 going to the fourth quarter in big trouble. I mean, they they settle for a field goal. Give Kirby Smart credit. He was down 14 in the fourth quarter, and he kicked a field goal when he could have gone for it, fourth and seven or fourth and eight from the eight-yard line. He ends up kicking a field goal to stay in the game, to extend the game. But just uh, your your thoughts on the, on the Georgia-Ohio State game, just overview. Well, like you said, Earlier, those are probably the two greatest games ever going to a championship game. I mean, I nobody thought the Georgia Ohio State game was going to have the same type of game that the TCU game was, right. you know, with Michigan, but it did, and maybe more. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State dominated, seemed that game throughout. Yeah, and I thought for sure Ohio State was going to win that game. And could have with the, you know, they had the missed field goal. You know, it's, I don't know, you know, who's the best team in the country? <laughs> Is it Alabama? Who, beats, <laughs> who ends up beating Kansas State? Right. I said this a number of weeks ago with you, and then I'm not so sure Alabama shouldn't be in there again. I know. You know. Kansas they lose State, two they games got, by four points on the last play of the game both times. I mean, and, and Kansas State beats TCU, and here Alabama right. gets after Kansas State. Right. I, I just, you know, and they say, oh, you go to twelve team playoff, it's going to help. I, who knows? I don't. Know. It's all about money anyway. Schematically, so. schematically, what did you see about what Ohio State did 
Did they isolate? Did they did they pick on a certain coverage? What did you see schematically from Ohio State that impressed you or that you didn't think Georgia did very well on defense? Well, I thought the protection for the quarterback for Ohio State's offensive line did good. Ohio State, and that old line is something. You know, they ran the ball pretty well and they protected the quarterback. And what what the big thing was was there are a lot of deep crossing routes. We call those race routes or grids. Uh, you know, used to call them race routes when I was with the 49ers, called it grid when I got back in college, where the receiver basically crosses the entire formation, and it's a deep ball. you got to have protection. Usually you're going to have seven-man protection on those, you know, at least six, but probably seven-man protection, three-man routes. And, and they just outran – you know, it's a hard – It's a, when you got protection, it's hard to stop and defend those routes. And I thought Ohio State hit those a number of times. Uh, and then the quarterback was able to run the ball when he had to, you know. To Which had not been part drives. of his game. Him running had not been part of his game. Everybody thought that that was going to be an issue, but he, he really he, – his mobility was a major factor in that game, breaking containment. Yeah, I thought so as well. And, you know, I mean, I don't, you're looking at two great teams. I mean, people at the beginning of the year thought these were the two probably that were going to play in the championship game. And, and they, they might be the two best teams. You know, I mean, the the, the talent level, the line of scrimmage on both right. these teams right. is amazing. But for Georgia just to keep playing they and did. keep on it, this, I mean, it, it says a lot to – the coaching staff and the leadership of the teams, you know, to, you know, Bill Snyder used to tell us at Kansas state always don't ever, 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 ever give up. And don't ever give up. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the fourth string walk on quarterback. That's turned into a Georgia legend is Stetson Bennett kid. He's 25 years old. He was put out, you know, nobody wanted him to play at Georgia. He just hung in there He's not a five-star guy. He's probably not going to be. He's not going to be a first-round draft pick in the NFL. But this guy's grit as a college football player and the leadership he shows is incredible. And as a coach, I know you know this. Develop seeing kids develop, seeing kids get better over time, and just hanging in there is a great trait. You know, it reminds me a little bit of Werfel at, at Florida. You know, and they they won a national championship, I believe, with him. Yep. And um, you know, he wasn't going to play in the pros. You know. And this guy probably won't – this might be his last game ever. You know, somebody will pick him up, and he might be able to hang on for a year or two. But probably, you know, who knows? But, you know, you probably don't want to count him out, you know. I'll probably maybe be eating my words in a year or two. But it is a remarkable story. It just is. He's just a football player. He's a winner. And he reminds me of Matt Grothy who we had in South Florida. Yep. I mean, Matt Grothy, the truth of this, Matt, if Matt is listening to this, <laughs> he, he won't like to hear it, but Wally Burnham recruited him, our D coordinator. And when we talked about Matt, and we knew he was a good quarterback, but we didn't think he'd play quarterback. We, we really took him as a safety. Okay. <laughs> and we brought him in. And, I mean, our staff, me and Wally talking, we thought, you know, he'd, we didn't think he'd have great speed, but we thought he'd be a good heady ball player and might be able to play some safety. We we didn't – Central Florida recruited him and, and us, really. It came down to just that. And um, Wally really liked him a lot. I mean, I liked him. I went and saw him a bunch. But Wally loved him. And, you know, I, you know, I appreciate Wally so much. So we ended up taking him. And there's a practice, and – like the scout team is going against the number one defense and Matt Grothy got back and hit this skinny post. One of the best throws I'd ever seen to score on our defense. I'll never forget this. I went up to Matt and I said, Matt, you are never going to play anything but quarterback. I'll promise you. <laughs> and from then on, all he did was lead our team to so many wins. He was so tough. He was such a, heady ball player, such a leader, but his toughness was remarkable. I'm going to go off on a tangent, but you got to hear this. We oh. play in a bowl game uh, against uh, Skip Holt's East Carolina's team. First, 
game we first bowl game we won in South Florida. And right before halftime, Matt came off and he said, "Man, my legs really bother me." And I said, "Well, is he be all right?" Said, I don't know, man. It really hurts. Mm-hmm. We go into halftime, come out second half. He comes out at the beginning of third quarter. Said, "Man, I can't. I'm having a hard time." Played a few series. I had to go with Pat Joe Miss. We he went in and finished the game for us. We won. Well, Matt had a had a fracture in his leg. <laughs> it was it was it was a fractured leg, and he played like a quarter and a half on it. Wow. I mean, it's, wow. the guy was so tough, you know. So that's what this Georgia quarterback. He's just tough. He won't give up. He wills things to happen, and we'll see what happens in the championship game. Were you surprised that on the last drive by Ohio State that they really they didn't really attempt a whole? I mean, they went for a big play. They got the ball to about the thirty-two with about twenty seconds left, and they didn't really try to get another seven or eight yards. And they end up making the kid have to kick a fifty-yard field goal, you know, basically to win the game. And obviously, it was the the kick was no good. Were you a little surprised at the play calling there in the last couple of plays, not to try to either center the ball in the middle of the field or? figure out a way to get five or six more yards. Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice, you know, obviously for the kicker. And, you know, I don't know what the thinking was behind all that, whether they just didn't want to, you know, they wanted to give him a chance, felt good about the kicker, and maybe they felt good at the hash that they were on and all those things. I don't know all that background. Um, Obviously, they should have, you know, because he didn't make it. Right. You know, but that's just so hard. I mean – you know, I watch Ohio State play, and even in this game, and still not sure that they're not the best team in the country, them or Alabama <laughs> or Georgia. You know, I mean, I, I never, I didn't know if I, I would say Michigan or TCU, but you know, the the just the line of scrimmage and the athletes and what Georgia has and what Ohio State has and what Alabama has is to me is you know separate those teams, but. Michigan beat the dog at Ohio State, so and we're undefeated, you know. So you got to give them, you know. I don't know, boy. It's tough, you know. You know, any one game, right? We right. talked about that this year. Yep. You know, you yep. can, you, you know, and look at. I mean, we talked because we were talking about South Florida at the time beating Florida, you know. And we had a lot of and one thing you and I talked have talked about all year about special teams. There were a lot of a lot of missed kicks in these games. Georgia kid right. missed two or three kicks. You know, you've watched the Clemson game. They missed three kicks. Obviously, Ohio State missed the kick at the end. The importance of special teams in these bowl games, when you've had 30 days off, that's the part of the game that gets rusty and doesn't get probably as much work maybe as you think you need. Your th- your th- your thoughts on special teams? Well, it's the live work, you know, that you, you know, you, you, you know, nobody's getting as much live work, but that's the thing you worry about with, um, you know, with uh, the protection on, you know, I mean, even, even I, I'm thinking right now about the game yesterday and North Carolina blocks, a, you know, fugal by the Bucks, you know. Right. Um, but that's, that's not what we're talking about. But it's hard to get as much live work as you want, especially on your fugal, your extra point team, because you don't want to hurt any of those linemen because they're, you know, they're in a vulnerable position. Right. I know that all those teams did some live work. I know that. But, you know, how much do you do? And, you know, when have you had enough? And, and the know, pressurized moment decisions. when you're in front of 85,000 with all the marbles on the line, it's different than if you're on a practice field by yourself. With the sure team. it is. Yeah, you're right, it is. You know, and, you know, there is some time there. And you know, you're concerned about all kinds of things, but especially teams – you're right. That's one of the areas that coaches get very concerned about. And normally in the practices, that's why they spend most time on special teams because you're so concerned about it. Right. You know, but it, it does. It hurt a lot of teams. You can see it. I want to give, again, I want to give a shout out to Noah Ruggles. Noah's the kicker at Ohio State. He's a Tampa kid. He went to Steinbrenner High School coach. He's a, he's a the Ohio State kicker, but he had a really good career at Ohio State. Obviously didn't make the last kick, but again, want to give a shout out to Noah Ruggles. Really good career at Ohio State. Um, keep up the great work, Noah, and uh, there'll be more opportunities hopefully down the road for you. So 
All right, let's get to the championship, Coach. Oh, you, first first question. You get nine days to prepare. You got you play th- this time next Monday night, so you basically get nine full days. Interesting that both teams will fly back to their place and then have to fly back to L.A. because the game's in Los Angeles, which is a long trip for these guys, especially the you know having to travel back to Texas and Georgia, then back to L.A. Talk about the preparation these over the weekend. Would you have given the kids all the way off until probably Tuesday to, before you start practicing again? Well, <clears throat> both staffs have already broke down the other teams. They've already had their GAs and their analysts break down the other teams to get everything there. But the, the coordinators have probably peaked at it a little bit, but they're so focused on Michigan or TCU or right Georgia or Ohio State that they haven't put their teeth into it. So you have to give your coordinators time. They need two or three days. Uh, or probably these two days to really try to put the, put a good plan together. So you do give your guys in the travel back, you're going to give them some, hopefully they can rest on the plane and you do want to give them a day off. And then what you want to do is you want to get back right away to the mental preparation for sure. Okay. You want to get the game plan out as soon as you can to where you really know what you're going to do and what you want to do and what your objectives are. And um, and then you're on the practice field, and you're probably not going to go full pads at all. Right. Probably just helmets and, um, you know, maybe just uh, spider pads or whatever they call them now. Sure. Uh, you know, because you, you've had a long year. Bodies are really beat up. you got to get your players back there close to 100% as you can. That's critical. So most of the work is going to be two things. Do a little bit of running. You know, uh, as soon as you can, as soon as you get your players back there, run them, run them a little bit, um, and and make sure linemen are running enough because your receivers and DBs are gonna they're gonna run a lot anyway. Uh, and then and that also helps kind of just get your body back and get them in the film room, watch, really study the team you're gonna face, and then um. Most now, of your work is going to be with scout teams, you know. Now, are you, now you as the head coach, as your coordinators are doing their work, as you as the head coach, are you going to call your buddies in that conference and say, hey, give me two or three things that they, they really like to do formationally or blitz package or red zone stuff? Is that where you're going to kind of make some your, your phone calls to your buddies in the in the business that are, that maybe play against Georgia, play against TCU, to, just to get a couple of nuggets? Those phone calls were probably already made last week. <clears throat> you know, there are four teams left. And depending on who, you know, one team would have to have calls about, you know, two other teams. Right. And those calls already were made, I'm sure. Um, are there going to be more calls made? Yes. <laughs> and yes, I would. Um, you know, a couple of people you trust, you know, to kind of get an idea. Uh, but, you know, those calls are already made. And, you're, you know, you're, hopefully your analysts. That's why these guys, a lot of these, a lot of these analysts are, are some retired, great coaches, right? That know what the hell they're doing, and they're probably really helping with putting those plans together. And, and if you've got some really good analysts, man, they're worth their weight in gold. They really are, because they, you know, a lot of these guys have been around a long time. You know, George has got them. Yep. I know a couple of those guys. And certainly all these staffs, man, they, when you're a high power staff, you got analysts, big time analysts that are there. And uh, they're really, really going to help that process. Well, you know, TCU is going to take the David versus Goliath attitude. Nobody in America thinks TCU can win a second huge game like this against the big bad bullies of Georgia. How do you, if you're TCU, if you're Sonny Dykes, how do you approach this emotionally and mentally with your guys? Do you, do you play up the we're, the we're the David versus Goliath, or you just say, you know what, damn it, we're as good as they are? Uh, we're as good as they are. We just played Michigan, who's got one of the best run offenses in the country, and we basically handled them. And, um, you know, Georgia's going to have to play up to our level. You know, and, you know, we're, we've got explosive players all over the field. You know, our defense is different than what they've seen. Um, you know, I, I don't think anybody in TCU – you get to this point, so I don't know if there's a David versus Goliath. 
the thing that I'm going to be excited about TCU is I'm more towards the West Coast than Georgia is. I'm at least getting Georgia out of the Southeast, put right. them all the way out L.A. I'm I'm thinking it ain't going to be easy for them. You know that's a that's a that's a long ways from one coast to the other coast, and um, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that's going to have a factor. And I'm and they're they're you know they just got done playing in Atlanta, right? You know, home game and home game that. You know, I, I think at TCU, you're going to have, have I think, a little bit of an advantage, you know, where you're located, getting out to L.A. Will, the bowl, will the bowl game require them to be there a certain day? Will Will they wait till the weekend to travel, or do they have to be there probably by Wednesday or Thursday for media stuff? Well, most bowl games will give you options, you know, where you can come in one day or the next day. Okay. You know, with whatever your team is. I don't know. I would imagine, and I don't know this, but I would imagine they'd have an option of staying one extra day or coming in. I imagine each team's going to have – they're going to have a certain day you have to be there right? because there's certain festivities that you're going to be involved with. Yep, media day, all that stuff. But I will bet that you will you have an option of getting in one day or the next day. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what each coach is going to want to do as far as that goes. Now, are you going to prepare the, I mean, I know obviously it's the ultimate you're playing for a national championship and I get it as a coach, the danger is to, are you over, can you over prepare for a game like this or, or do you try to stay in the same routine as a coaching staff that you've done all year long? Or do you say, you know what? I don't give a damn. I'm staying up all night long, whatever we got to do. Well, you know, I, <clears throat> You know, I think that you probably try to stay in a routine that you can. You know, I coached in the Super Bowl, and we had two weeks to prepare for, um, uh, you know, for um, the Ravens. And um, <laughs> I'll not forget, I my scouting report for the linebackers was 16 pages, but it was, <laughs> but it was mostly, you know, some drawings and some. It wasn't just all, you know, to where they, they I Pat Willis and Navarro Bowman and those guys, you know, but. Uh, you know, it's hard to keep an exact routine. You can within your system, but you know, it's a championship game. You're going out to LA. There's different geographically. It's different, but as much as, uh, much of the same routine you've had, you know, with your strength staff and those people you're going to keep. All I would right, imagine. Last question. I'll get you out of here. Talk to, talk to the audience and the fans and other coaches that are listening. Talk about the thrill and the and the and the adrenaline and the anxiety or whatever all the things combined when you're in a winner take all championship game, whether it's an NFL playoff game, a game like this where it's a national championship game. Just talk about the this is what you do coaching. This is why you're in this profession, right, coach? I mean the the thrill and the 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 intensity and the adrenaline and the and the you know the win it the winner take all scenario of a game like this. You know, for me. You know, and all I can do, the only experience I can talk about is coaching in a Super Bowl, and um, which is pretty big. <laughs> the um, uh, I remember before the game seeing Beyonce because she was going to sing, you know, at halftime. Yeah. And I can remember um, these kids that were singing and how I went up and talked to these kids before the game, right when, when we came out. Other than those kind of things, when the game started, nothing changed for me. Okay. It was, you know, you want to win this game and the best. And I remember feeling like the best thing I could do is to be relaxed and not to be uptight. And to, because for me, Vic Fangio was our D coordinator and he made calls. I'm the one that talked to Pat Willis or I either did it through, you know, through the mic or, or through signals, hand signals. But I just wanted to make sure that I relayed the right things and that I, that the adjustments I had to make for those guys was good. And I just wanted to make sure as a coach that I was as relaxed as I could be. Did not want to be too tight. Because it allows that you to really, think. really, important to me. It allows you to think clear when you're relaxed. You can think clearly. You don't get, I don't say desperate, but you don't do stuff that's out of character from a call perspective and things like that probably, right? Well, that's just how I thought, you know. Um, I wasn't the head coach. I wasn't Jim Harbaugh. Right. You know, I wasn't the D coordinator when I was with the 49ers. You know, I was coaching linebackers. 
But, you know, I mean, the game came down to the last play of the game. And we've already talked about the horrible call the official made on the Where's the flag, Coach? Play. We're still looking for the flag, Coach. <laughs> uh, you 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 need to look back at that play. You tell I me. remember it. Oh, I, I, I watched it. I remember the play in the end zone with Crabtree. I remember. The, the, the guy wrapped his arm right around Crabtree. It was an easy call to me. <laughs> so, anyway, but, you know, you want your guys to play at the highest level they can play. You You want them to you know, I think it's so important to have them not be too tight. And where's that line? And how do you do it? That's, yep. you know, that's a good question. And the last thing is officiating. That that could be a factor in this game. These are going to be officials that haven't refereed these conferences this year, most likely. It's probably going to be a neutral conference officiating crew. So, again, you hate to say it, and these are the best of the best of the officials. We get it, but it's still – the officiating can can play a role in these games and how you coach it and how you adjust after a call that you either like or don't like. A prime example. Do you remember the TCU game with the um, was it the spearing at the end? Yeah, yeah. The no call. You they overturned me, it. They overturned it. You tell me if you're being consistent and we've seen that call a few times. That was called. Yep. And if you put up that same play with some that are called, not right. called, I'll promise you they missed that call. Right. His head was down. He hit with a crown of his helmet right through the other guy's helmet. Yep. Yeah. And I believe strongly that they just felt like, I think it wasn't about the play. I think they realized that, hey, the, you know, TCU won this game. Let's just move on. And they would have had to eject the kid for the half of the next game. That's the other part, too. I find it hard to believe that those thoughts weren't com- weren't going in the mind right. of the person that had to make that call. Right. Because I'll promise you that's going to be brought up and they're going to show, they're going to show calls of, you know, of the same thing. That was the other, that was the other way. Right. Well, coach, great work. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the week. Enjoy the championship game. And uh, we'll maybe we'll talk one more time next week after the championship game to wrap up the college football season. Great job, Coach. We'll see you next week, okay? All right. Sounds good. Have a great week, Coach. Powers right, on Sports too. and Florida Football Insiders Podcast. We'll be right back. College football fans, we know that the season is winding down. Bowl games are in the near future as well as the college football playoff. And we know you're looking for the best seats at the most competitive prices. Take advantage of Ticket Smarter and their mobile app. Ticket Smarter is partnered with more than 100 universities and 24 conferences as their official ticket resale marketplace. They've also partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner with the best selection of college football tickets. Ticket Smarter makes sure fans from all over the country experience the power and excitement of college football live. Purchase your tickets quickly, securely, and at the best prices on the secondary market with Ticket Smarter's mobile app or at TicketSmarter.com. In addition, we've got an additional offer for you for those of you that are listening as part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network and the Florida Football Insiders Podcast. Take 5% off of your purchase of $100 or more with our promo code GRIDIRON22. That's GRIDIRON22 for 5% off of your order of $100 or more. And that code isn't just for a one-time use. You can use it as many times as you'd like during the college football season to see the biggest games left to be played. Check out the selections, pricing now with Ticket Smarter, and remember our code GRIDIRON22. Think smarter, ticket smarter. Hey guys and girls, with the college football season getting to the holidays here in November and December, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity that you can rely on like BetUS. BetUS has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for over 25 years, thriving and paying their loyal customer base quickly and securely. Go to BetUS.com and take advantage of an offer we have on our shows from the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network and here in the Florida Football Insiders Podcast, as well as the Powers on Sports Podcast. You'll receive 125% sign-up bonus by using our code COAST22. That's COAST22. Put $100 in, you'll get an additional $125 to play with. $200, you'll get $250 to play with, and so on and so forth.
BetUS also has all the NFL, World Cup, NHL, NBA, and even college basketball that's about to tip off here in the holiday season, as well as almost any other sport you can think of. But we all know you are college football fans at heart, as well as NFL fans, and we want you to be with us all season long on BetUS. Check them out at BetUS.com, and remember our 125% matching bonus for all initial signups with our code COAST22. BetUS, you bet, you win, and you get paid. Are you in the market for a new home as we enter the fall? First-time home buyer, you want to upsize or downsize your current living situation? Reach out to Titan Home Lending for all of your home lending needs. If you need an FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo, or even a bank statement loan, Titan is the place to help you. We will work with whatever financial situation you are dealing with. Again, from Key West to Pensacola to Orlando to everywhere in between, Titan Home Lending is your home lending source in the state of Florida. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. I welcome back Florida Football Insiders Podcast presented by Beefo Brady's. Remember, Beefo Brady's here in Tampa on the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. Check out Beefs. You got National Championship Monday night coming up. NFL playoffs right around the corner. So Beefs for all your catering needs and your sports viewing pleasures. Welcoming in Kevin Brockway. He's been with us several times. From the, he's from the Gainesville Sun, covers the Gators. We're going to talk a little recruiting, signing class, transfer portal. We're just going to get a little update on the Gators and such. So welcome back, Kevin. Happy New Year. It's a uh, happy new year. It's good to be back as the usual and uh, good to be back in Florida. Yeah, yeah. I know you were up in New York enjoying a little uh, holiday festivities. How was New York for those who have never been during the holidays? Give us a sense of New York City in that area during the holidays. Well, you know, it's the Rockefeller Center. It's always fun. The tree, you know, it's a very festive atmosphere there uh, in the city. Um, uh, Christmas in the city is certainly uh, exciting. But, uh, you know, uh, I think Christmas weekend, it was bitterly cold. It was down to like zero degrees. I know it's cold here in Florida, too, right? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, warmed up a little bit um, a couple of days afterwards. So I was able to venture down the city and uh, do that kind of stuff. But uh, just good to be home with family. It's where I grew up and uh, still have a lot of ties up there. And most importantly, you didn't get stuck in an airport with all the travel issues, did you? No, no, I didn't go southwest. I went Delta. So I was very <laughs> fortunate. And, uh, you know, that uh, that worked out. That worked out pretty well for me. Very good. All right. So we're recording this on, on Tuesday morning, obviously, with, with with the events on Monday Night Football with DeMar Hamlin. Kevin, have you ever been in a situation at, a, at, a, at an event where a player has collapsed in, in any kind of manner like happened last night at all? I have not, but I do know, you know, a couple of years ago, I obviously watched that Florida-Florida State game when Keontae Johnson uh, collapsed in Tallahassee, and it was eerily similar in a lot of ways. And it's amazing to think two years ago that they actually resumed playing in that game. Yeah. Uh, when you when you when you look at uh, what happened last night and them canceling a Monday night football game um, with with Keontae's situation, uh, obviously, and and he was in uh, you know critical condition for what seven or eight days in a hospital up in Tallahassee. Right. Uh, you know, thankfully, he made a full recovery and he's playing basketball again. Not at Florida, but at Kansas State. Yeah. Um, obviously. Um, I don't think Florida would medically clear him. Kansas state did. I mean, that's another issue, um, but he's, he's doing okay. You know, and he's, he's playing well and he's following his dream and it will be interesting to see if Hamlin makes a full, you know, recovery, if he decides to play football again. And if he does, um, you know, certainly there'll be a lot of factors that, that go into it, but uh, definitely a scary scene last night. Uh, I was watching it live, uh, nothing that you want to see on TV, um, when you have an ambulance rush out to the field and you could just see how distraught the players were right, right. Um, emotionally and, and how hard it would be to get, especially in a sport like football, to get charged back up for a game. I think they eventually did the right thing. Maybe they should have done it a little sooner. No, you and I are old enough to remember Hank Gathers. That to me, yes. that was what came into my, when I first saw all the distraught, distress on the field, that was my first thought was Hank Gathers back in 1990 at Loyola Marymount. Little different situation because we knew he had already had a, had some kind of issue prior to that, but still to see a guy just, you know, collapse on the court like that. And obviously in the Hank Gathers situation, he did pass away. You know, it just, that's, that was my first thought was Hank Gathers 1990. Yeah, yeah, no question. And I do remember that too. And I remember, you know, obviously uh, the warning signs beforehand and, 
everything. And uh, it was it was uh, obviously a terrible situation for uh, everyone involved. And then, of course, you know, Bo Kimball with the tribute, you know, shooting right. with the left hand and everything. And it was uh, it was really a sad story. But uh, that team came together and made a run to the Elite Eight in Hank's memory. Absolutely. No, that was a tremendous, tremendous year. And uh, yeah, like I said, Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball, man, were just and again, if you if you didn't ever know who Hank Gathers would look them up. All-American leading led the country in the, the year yeah. he passed away, led the country in scoring and rebounding at Loyola Marymount. Kid was a beast. And, uh, they, yeah, there's a great 30 for 30 on Loyola Marymount that if you can unearth, I would definitely recommend uh, watching. Absolutely. All right, let's get, to, let's get to the Gators here. Let's do a quick review of the bowl game situation. The Gators losing the Las Vegas Bowl 30 to 3. Not a very good uh, result, obviously, for the Gators. To me, the interesting thing was – the Gators kick a late field goal late in this game to extend a little-known streak of never being shut out. T tell us about the streak and the extension of the streak there. Was there any backlash for that? For, well, for you know, if you're doing that, they lead FBS. I think it's 435 or 436 streak. It goes back to 1988 um, Auburn um, in 1988. So if you think about that, that's you know 30. Uh, we're going on what 34. Four, four 35 years, years yeah. yep. uh, without being shut out. And I mean, really spammed through the Spurrier and so forth and everything. I remember a couple, was it a couple of years ago, they played uh, FSU and they got a safety, I think, under Jim McElwain to extend right. the streak, which was just kind of crazy if you think about it. They didn't score an offensive point, but it was still not the shutout streak. So, I mean, it's been close a few times and certainly yeah. it was there. And, um, you know, it's interesting because Adam Mahalik missed a long field goal early in that game. And then they were kind of near inside 10 and they got pushed back. They got a couple of negative plays, a sack and everything. So I asked Napier after the game, I said, well, you know, if it was a little closer, would you have gone for the touchdown? And he said, yeah, exactly right. He goes, you know, fourth and 24, you know, fourth and goal from the 24, what are the odds? You know, you you bring Mahalik out there and you kick it. I think it would have been interesting to see if he would have played it differently if he was inside the 10-yard line. But there was some backlash. I know Kirk Herbstreit said something on the air. He called it embarrassing. And uh, uh, I think I saw an Ohio, uh, Oregon State fan on Twitter saying that uh, it's uh, it's kind of like a, a baseball coach calling for a bunt to break up a no-hitter. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> and, out, and, and being that it was Napier's first year, I wonder if at the moment of he was all that was going on, if he even knew or if somebody had to come up and tell him, hey, Billy, this is an important streak here. We need to, we need to figure, kick a field goal here late in the game. I wonder if that was even mentioned to him by somebody on the sideline. Well, I don't know. You know, it's it's pretty prominent in the media notes, too. So I don't know okay. if he reviews the media notes or all. So he might if he reviews it every week. I'm sure he's aware of it, but uh, it was uh, – like you said, one of those situations where it was it was dangerously close, you know, and, and I was tweeting about it during the game. And it was it yeah. was interesting because it, it looked really dire there with Jack Miller at quarterback. And, you know, obviously they were tremendously shorthanded. And I think it just shows, you know, a lot of fans really were, uh, you know, on Anthony Richardson for much of the season. He was inconsistent up and down. But, you know, be careful what you wish for. People were talking about benching him for Jack Miller and right. uh, right. you know, and uh you know, you kind of saw how the offense functioned without Anthony Richardson. It didn't look good at all. All right, before we talk signing signing day and transfer portal, just give give the audience a sense of after year one of Billy Napier, what is the sense in Gainesville and kind of Central Florida about wh where they think things are going? Obviously, um, you know, it wasn't record wise, it wasn't fantastic, but they had some moments where they played really well, and, and then, you know, they, obviously they beat Utah early in the year. So just give 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 the audience a sense of of what the Gator Nation thinks year one post year one billy napier yeah i just think a lot of inconsistency because you know they beat utah and they beat south carolina too who turned around right and beat clemson right and uh you know back to back tennessee and clemson so i mean that just tells you that you know when they when florida was at its best it could play with anyone i think the problem was they just weren't at their best all the time and you got to wonder if that's coaching if that's just uh lack of depth or key injuries throughout the course of the season I think the fans are, uh, you know, they, they want to give Napier a chance. It's going to be an interesting year, too, to see if what kind of progress they make, how they address the quarterback position. I mean, they, they've picked up, obviously, Grant Merch from Wisconsin and, and have one of the top quarterback recruits coming in in, in Jane Rashada. But uh, I, I think that uh, it's it's going to be, you know, an, another season where, you know, you're going to have to build, build depth and you're going to have to show a lot of improvement defensively, too, because that's what really – you know, let the Gators down during the course of the season, giving up 40 or more points to four different opponents during the season. 
I mean, there have been a lot of transfer guys coming out of Florida, leaving Florida. Is that is that by design, or is that just? I mean, is that kind of Billy's way of weeding out the weeding out the roster a little bit, or just give us a sense of you know because there's a lot of names you've heard coming out come, yeah. entered the portal coming out of Gainesville. I think there were a few guys they wanted to come back, but the majority of them were just kind of like you know, Hey, look, we wish you well, but you don't fit yep. into our plans. And I, I think, I think when, when Billy Napier came into Florida, he just kind of thought, you know, I'll, I'll give some of the players I inherited a chance, see what they're like, yep. evaluate them. But you kind of saw during the course of the season, Napier went prominently with his guys, you know, Montrell Johnson, the running back, uh, Trevor Etienne, the true freshman, Shamar James, right. um, a lot of guys that he recruited played prominent roles of Cyrus Torrance, uh, you know, obviously was an impact uh, player and, and arguably probably their, their best player, most talented player during the course of the season. So, you know, and you're going to be losing those, some of those guys too, especially, you know, a lot of people are talking about Anthony Richardson, but I believe the Osiris Torrance loss is going to be a big blow to the offensive line. And they're going to need to address that, you know, certainly in, in the portal and, and developing some guys too. Give, give us a sense of from a signing. Obviously we've had the early signing day. What was the emphasis for the Gators? Was it offensive and defensive linemen or was it skill players? Obviously probably a little both, but it was a major focus that, that Bill, uh, that Billy has, has broadcasted to the media up there that, that he really wanted to really focus on. Well, you know, judging from it front seven and uh wide receiver, they got right. a lot, they, they, you know, and, and that was an area they need to address because you kind of saw the depth, at wide receiver when Justin Shorter got hurt, when Xavier Henderson got hurt at the end of the season. You remember that Florida State game, they only had about four or five scholarship wide receivers. Um, and um, it appears that Ricky Pearshaw is coming back. It's not 100%. He didn't totally commit after the Vegas game. Uh, so he's a piece. But I think you need some guys around him. And uh, it's going to be interesting because I am going to go to the Under Armour game tonight down in uh, Orlando. I get a chance to look at some guys like Aiden Mizell and Andy Jean and um, they, they've got some wide receivers coming in that have a lot of talent, but true freshmen, you just don't know Correct. if you can rely on these guys right away. And then obviously the biggest question, you know, for every team in the country quarterback, obviously they bring in Graham Mertz, who's got, who's a polarizing name. If you, if you follow college football, at Wisconsin, they've got the, the high, the, the big recruit coming in, uh, Rashada, give us a little, give us a little sense of Rashada, what, what his background is and just people that don't know who he is. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing him play tonight. I mean, Pittsburgh, California guy, obviously, you know, flipped from Florida, Miami, back to Florida. Uh, so there was a little bit of drama in his recruitment, but he appears to be, you know, he he obviously he signed in the early signing period. So he appears to be, uh, you know, signed, sealed and delivered to Florida and he'll enroll early, uh, kind of get a jump on the competition. Dual threat guy, I think he'll fit Napier's system well, the read option well, because he can you know, do some things with his legs, but uh, they're very excited about him and, and some of the intangibles too. I mean, he led his team uh, deep into the California state playoffs. So he's got some, uh, he's got some winning intangibles as well. And uh, I'll be curious to see a little more of him, like I said, again tonight and uh, you know, throughout the course of the season, but you know, when, when you watch the clips and you watch the film, you definitely see a live arm there. Is he a more of a runner? Is he more of a pocket pat? Is he, is there, is he a dual guy or is he more of a thrower? He's a dual guy. Now I, he'll, 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 he'll create some plays with his legs. I mean, he was the, uh, I think, uh, third or fourth rated, uh, dual threat quarterback in the nation, uh, in the class of 2022. So he's, uh, he'll, he'll definitely, you know, fit Napier system that way. All right. Last thing I'll get you at her, obviously college football national championship next Monday night, Georgia and TCU. You saw Georgia in person in Jacksonville for the cocktail party. Um, how surprised were you that Georgia got pushed so much by by Ohio State as far as the way they moved the ball with relative ease? And and do you think Georgia will be able to recover and, and stabilize versus TCU? Yeah, I was surprised that the defense surrendered as many points as they did. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr., man, he was having a field day. You're talking about a guy that's going to be playing on Sundays. And then obviously he gets knocked out of the game late in the third quarter. That was a big uh, you know, certainly blow to Ohio State. Ryan Day called a heck of a game, um, but I was surprised that, uh, uh, you know, Georgia's defense did not answer the bell as as well as as maybe they could have. But, you know, they, they did lose a lot from that defense last year that was pretty dominant too. So, I mean, TCU, Max Duggan is going to be no picnic. They showed that uh, uh, they, they showed Michigan that uh, they're legit and they're for real. So uh, I would expect another um, another close game, but I, I think Georgia will find a way to pull it out and 
the SEC usually does, right? And uh, they'll uh, they'll be uh, they'll be champions again back to back, and you know uh, it'll be a, it'll be another year where where Kirby is ruling the roost, and uh, everybody else will be just be uh, waiting for uh, playing for second place. Well, Kevin, great job. I appreciate the time. Again, we'll we'll definitely check in as we get more towards March Madness. If the Gators are making a move here, any uh, excitement on the basketball court moving forward in conference season? Yeah, no, it's been a really rough first year for Todd Golden, seven and six, oh and six against quad one teams. Right. So uh, ha- haven't had that breakthrough win yet. You know, and they get Texas A and M and Georgia this week. They got to get righted. They're having some issues with rebounding. They're having some issues as far as uh, you know, right now shooting. They're in a pretty bad slump. The last two games, five for forty-one from three, but they do shoot better at the O'Connell Center. So they'll be back home, and you got to hope that. Uh, if you're a Gator fan that, that things turn around a little bit and they figure some things out because I, you know, if, if they get into a hole here that, I mean, they were very competitive against Georgia top or against Auburn, excuse me, top 25 team right. played very well defensively. So that's something to build upon the fact that they went out and they, they made a tight game, had a chance to win in the closing seconds and Colin Cabell, Castleton, your best player dribbles the ball off your foot. You know, it's just one of those, one of those tough breaks. We'll keep up the great work with Gainesville son. Tell me where they can find all your great content online. Yeah, Gatorsports.com, or you can follow me at Twitter at, uh, at Kevin Brockway G1. That's where I link uh, a lot of my work. So, Well, appreciate the time, Kevin. Happy New Year. Glad you got to enjoy a little New York City, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it, Kevin. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Florida Football Insiders Podcast as part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Net- Network. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you've not already done so. And you can reach out to me on Twitter at Sports. Love to hear your comments and feedback about our episodes and any program suggestions moving forward. Check out our video interviews as well on my YouTube channel, Jason Powers Sports Channel. And we'll see you next week on the Florida Football Insiders Podcast.